Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and fighting our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Dr. Jen Mann, is one of the most well-recognized psychotherapists in the country by any standard. Most known as the long-standing host and therapist for VH1's hit shows, Couples Therapy and Family Therapy, Dr. Jen is also the author of multiple best-selling advice books and columns. She's a rape and domestic violence counselor, a marriage, family, and child therapist, and sex counselor who's been in private practice for almost three decades. With an ever-charged goal to help people to feel whole and healthy. There's no better time to bust open the truth and the struggles with our mental health and wellness and maybe in it even find some fixes. Here to give us some facts and advice, the one and the only Dr. Jen Mann is in my heart. Welcome, Doc. Hey, what a lovely (laughs) introduction. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you because, you know, you're, okay, you're a licensed psychotherapist, a couples and family therapist, an author, a speaker, a TV and radio host and personality. I know you're a plant-based eater. We're going to get into that. And an avid outdoor person, a Peloton addict, as you call yourself, and not to mention an Olympic gymnast many moons ago, as you say. You've done so much, Jen. I have to ask you right out the gate. How important is the overall mission of your practice and all the work that you do with people and yourself, which is, you say, the mission of our relationship with ourselves first and then with others after? Let's talk about this. Well, I think it's crucial. You can't have a healthy relationship with other people if you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself. And I think a lot of people miss that. And even when we're in a relationship, my partner and I, we oftentimes say to each other, I have a responsibility both to myself and to our relationship to work on myself and then the relationship. Because if you don't have the skills and the tools and the insight and you haven't worked through your traumas and your issues, you're going to act them out in all of your relationships. 100%. Let's break that down a little because we've heard the old adage, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first and be kind to yourself and love yourself. 
It took me myself a while to actually know what the hell that really meant. Can yeah. you break that down a little bit for what the heck does that really mean? Yeah. I, look, I think it's become a cliche, even though it's completely true. And sometimes things that are very true become cliches. And the whole idea with the oxygen mask is obviously if you don't put it on yourself first, you might pass out while trying to help your child in the airplane. And yes. I think it's very true in real life. If we don't put gasoline in the, our emotional tank, we run out of gas and we can't help others. And a lot of the time, especially as women, as far as we have come, and I consider myself to be a feminist and have identified as that since I was a teen before it was cool, by the way, that, you know, if we don't take care of ourselves, then we can't take care of other people. That if you have not spent any time with self-care, if you have not gotten enough sleep, if you've not given yourself decent food, you're going to snap at your kid. You're going to not be the kind of mom that you want to be. You're going to be a crappy partner. It, it, you're not going to be as good in your career, in your work as you want to be. It, it has a trickle-down effect. And sometimes we tend to think, I am superwoman. I can do it all. I can just go on very little sleep. I cannot take care of myself. I can put everyone first. And you can for a while, but then you're going to eventually hit the wall and you're going to break down physically, emotionally, on some level, there's going to be a breakdown. Right. And, and so what happens when we are trying to look at ourselves holistically and, and give ourselves the love and the intention that we need? It really doesn't, at the end of the day, it always goes back to our childhood, right? It always goes yeah. back to, or, or, or trauma, you know, yeah. in our adult, adult life, that's a little bit more easily identifiable or recognizable. Hey, I may have a problem because of this situation. But when we are deconstructing ourselves, right, if we have anger issues like snapping at our kids or losing patience really quickly and we start to say, OK, what do I need to do for myself? to care for myself, to be a better human to others. There's, there's a lot of, um, I guess, self-analysis that would have to go through that oftentimes, and we'll talk about when's the right time to get, seek help. But yeah. there's, I know that there's gotta be some tips to, to try to like understand the obvious. Like, let me yeah. break it down. Like those, you know, those silly things that people say, like, if you smile more, you'll be happier. You know yeah, what I mean? You know, it's like, oh, look, yeah, okay. I, those, those hacks are fun and cute, but they don't, they don't give you significant change in your life. Yes. And, you know, I, I think you bring up some really great points and that pretty much, I would say, in my experience, 90% of the time, our issues tend to go back to our childhood. And the thing that most people miss, and I talk about this a lot in my book, The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy, that... Sometimes people think, oh, well, I wasn't abused. I wasn't molested. I wasn't neglected. I didn't grow up in terrible conditions. So I don't have any childhood trauma. Sometimes the trauma are things that we don't recognize as trauma. It may be your parents divorced. It may be that you had parents who were good intentioned, but they just never understood you. It may be that they never had time for you, that they were always so busy working and trying to earn a living and were honest, good people, but you were neglected emotionally. It may be that there were so many kids in the family that your emotional needs were attended to. So there are a lot of different ways that we have deficits and some might even call them traumas in our lives that we don't tend to recognize. And those things impact us, how we pick partners, what we do with them once we pick them. I always recommend that everybody have 
one year of weekly therapy. And sometimes people say, well, I can't afford that. Here's the thing. Everybody can afford it. And the reason why is that every therapist has to do 3,000 hours under supervision where they do not get paid. So there are mental health clinics all around this country that will see people for zero or based on their ability to pay because therapists need training. When you go into these clinics, you actually get surprisingly good care because not only are you getting the intern that you are working with, you're getting a supervisor of theirs who has two years or more of training. So it's actually, it's a great bang for the buck that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know that at all. And it's such a great tip. I mean, I just know through the pandemic and the need is so, you know, grave and, and, and deep for mental health counseling and, and having it available that even now today, there's so many more options and there's some online options that are really good. Obviously do your research, make sure everybody's licensed and all that kind of stuff. But there is there is a way to get help maybe where you felt like there was some red tape before. I believe that that has been lifted and Dr. Jen, that, that's great yeah. tips. So you can go to these yeah. mental health facilities and let them know what you need and what you can afford. And yeah. they're there to help you. They want to lean into it. Now you call what you do, um, even powered whole mental health, even powered whole mental health. I've heard you talk about, can you give us some specifics on what we need to be looking for in life to stay kind of even powered and, um, and, and wholly, you know, mentally healthy because there's toxic, toxic relationships that we have in our lives, right? There's toxic people we have in their lives. There's boundaries that we oftentimes ignore for ourselves, right? So when you're talking about this kind of whole powered mental health, it's choices you make, right? It's, it's realization, you know, I guess having that conversation with yourself in the mirror, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I think it's about really holistic health and it's about looking at what are you putting in your body? And are you treating your body like you love it? Are you exercising? Are you sleeping enough? Are you taking good care of yourself mentally and emotionally? Who are you surrounding yourself with? What are your relationships like? Are you making good boundaries? Do you have the tools that you need in order to have healthy relationships? Because look, we don't all pick the healthiest relationships. And sometimes we work with people or we're involved with people that we don't get to pick. So if we don't have the tools to be able to make those boundaries and say, hey, it's not okay to talk to me that way, or no, I can't turn in that assignment tonight. It's, it, it's gonna be 10 hours of work, and, but I can't turn it in you know, on Wednesday at three o'clock. It's making boundaries and being able to take care of ourselves because that's holistic well-being. Right. Okay. Got it. So let's talk about, again, breaking down when you have found that you're unhappy or you might be unhappy in a relationship. You might be just unhappy with yourself. You found yourself battling with depression and you're looking at the life before you. How do we find that true joy and happiness with ourselves and like get out of our own heads, get away from the pressures of society that sometimes cause us to put ourselves in these boxes of suffering? Um, but then also to um, allow suffering, to accept it yeah. that, you know, I think that we've been, I think the generations are changing. Definitely my daughter, who's just a teenager compared to me. And then my mother, what she was taught, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, my, my mom, who was born and raised in, you know, the fifties, her job was to go find a husband. And yeah. she really didn't have a lot of um, 
desires that were passionate about her own calling or what may make her tick. She wanted to have babies and make a family. That was her goal. It was like ingrained in her. You know, I grew up a little bit differently, but you know, not so much. My daughter has a completely different outlook on that. But still, we have these pressures of society and, and they tell us what we're supposed to be or what we should be doing. And one of them is, is that, you know, life is good. You know, all these yeah. like these adages like, like life is hard, actually, like that yeah. should be the descriptor, because I think we set Favorite. ourselves up for some sort of failure by, yeah. you know, kind of cream coating, whitewashing, whatever you want to call it. The, the reality is that life is about suffering. It's like Buddha and yeah. you getting together. Please yeah. tell us you know absolutely and and look i I really go by the motto fuck what other people think Mm -hmm. i i believe in what i call the 30 second rule nobody thinks about anybody but themselves for more than 30 seconds let's say they say oh you know i i can't believe she did that i can't believe she had that failure i can't believe she wore those clothes i can't believe she picked that career and then they go back to thinking do these jeans make my ass look fat? What am I going to eat for dinner? Is, why is my husband not home on time? Why are my kids not getting good grades? People just go back to thinking about themselves. And I think that when we get caught up in what other people think, it is a huge mistake. And we end up living a life that is very hollow to us. Yeah. And I, I f- always feel really bad for women of that generation who were told that, you know, your only option is to be a wife and, you know, maybe a secretary or a teacher. And look, mm-hmm. those are great jobs if that's what you love and that's what you're passionate about. And I've seen too many women of your mother's generation and older yeah. who hit a point in their life and they look back on it and they reflect and they say, wow, I really regret I didn't become a lawyer or a painter or follow my dream. And I think that that's a, a heartbreaking kind of thing. And I think that even though we are of a different generation and our kids are of a different generation. I think that people tend to worry too much about what other people think about them. Where, you know, one of the things we've learned from COVID is we're not here for a very long time, you know, and we, we never know how long it's going to be. And that while we are here, we need to make good use of that time. And we need to do the things that really that light our souls on fire. And, and I think that it's important to pursue that. And, you know, you, some may say, well, you know, I can't afford the lifestyle that I want doing that thing. Well, you know what, then do it as a hobby, but do it, integrate it into your life because that that's why we're here. We're here to, to, I mean, look, I agree. We're here to experience pain, but the great thing about pain is that on the flip side, it helps us appreciate joy. Exactly. Exactly. It's part of the, it's part of the math problem, right? You know what I yep. mean? It's like, it's there. And I, I, I think it's true. I mean, I think so, one of the things that I have to say that I've worked on, my trigger was um, some kind of post-traumatic stress later in my life that made me dig deep into um, some childhood traumas that I didn't even know existed. I thought I had a pretty good childhood, but when I really um, kind of unpacked it as an adult and a parent myself, I realized I was alone an awful lot as a child. And so I, you know, unpacking that, you know, made me, I don't know, have to have to have some conversations with my mom, you know, as a parent and that sort of thing. But one of the things that I have really worked on and it is to beware of the temptation to perceive yourself as unfairly treated. 
And I think that oftentimes in life, a lot of people are, you know, falling under the idea that we are unfairly treated and it's so much a part of our lives and the world isn't fair. And, you know, how, how about that concept of you're not responsible for the way I feel? What about taking ownership to some of these, I think, cyclical problems that we see in society, victimization, you know what I mean? Like, how do we, how do we tolerate being unfairly treated and how do we get past that? Well, I think that there, we have to look at it from a lot of different angles. You know, one is the truth is life is not fair. And I think the sooner we teach our children that life is not fair, the, the better off they will be. Mm. I think that there are times where we have a tendency to play the victim, to, to feel sorry for ourselves. And, and there, there are times in our life where something terrible happens and we need to lick our wounds. We need to be able to do that. I have a, a friend who lost her husband. He was in his early 40s and she was in her mid 30s and he died very suddenly. And you know what? She needed to have that time to grieve and say, shit, this sucks. Like, yeah, how not can fair. this happen to me? Yeah. But then there are also times where bad things happen to us and they happen to us because of something, choices that we've made in our life that led us down this path. And oftentimes those bad choices aren't healthy choices because of our childhood, because of unresolved issues that we may have put ourselves in bad positions. We may have sabotaged ourselves. We may have sabotaged important relationships or our career or things like that. And then there are also just random acts of horrible things that happen, crimes perpetrated, you know, the people that, that we love that are lost, that we have no control of, that it is unfair. And I think we do get to say, this is part of my mourning process. I get to feel sad. I get to feel angry. I get to go through those emotions. We just have to make sure that we don't stay stuck in them. Right, right. You owe yourself um, the obligation. You have the obligation to yourself to, to let the, the, the pain happen. To yeah. let the suffering happen. To, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I found as someone, you know, as an entrepreneur who's co- constantly taking risk and that sort of thing. I mean, there's been some dark days where I couldn't get off off the floor, but I found when I allowed myself that time on the floor, I didn't stay long. You know what I mean? When I only take sips of it and I'm acting more like the victim, you know, then I can prolong it. But if I just allow the emotion to happen and I allow the tears to happen and the hysteria to come, it subsides itself. It's our way of self-soothing crying, you know, and I think people look at it as a, as a sign of weakness, you know what I mean? And, you know, showing your emotion and your vulnerability. And it's exactly how we flip the switch, quite frankly. Right. Yes. Look, grieving is an important way of working through something. And I also think having a great support system, having people in your life who will let you cry, who will let you grieve, who will let you have your process. And and also grieving is not just a death. Grieving is a loss of a job. It is a loss of a friendship. It's a loss of a relationship. There are all different kinds of grief. When your children graduate from high school and go off to college, it's a beautiful, wonderful moment, but it's also a time of grieving. A hundred percent. So how do we break our patterns? You know what I mean? Like we find ourselves in these patterns, whether it's with choosing the, those same type of people in our lives or 
going down the road of maybe like being angry, having an outburst, you know, feeling bad about it after, you know, then judging ourselves only to then fall back into the same trap again, where we're not actually making progress, but we're in essence caught in that cycle, as you mentioned, what are some tips that we can look out for or signs? The first step is insight. When there's a pattern in our life where we keep doing the same thing over and over again, like we can't expect to get different results if we don't do different things. Right. And having the insight to recognize, oh, this is a problem is, is the first step. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, look, the natural second step is therapy. But mm-hmm. if you are unwilling or unable to do therapy, there are there's so many great resources out there now. There yeah, are, like I, some of your books. Thank you. Yes, yeah. I'm a fan of, of bibliotherapy. You know, in the relationship fix, I tried to write a book that was like doing one year of therapy with me that really asked people to ask themselves questions and, and really be introspective. Because if we're not introspective, if we're not willing to really kind of take a a fearless inventory of our history, of our, our choices of the people we have chosen to bring into our lives, then we're not going to learn and we're not going to grow. And it's painful and it's hard. And a lot of people just don't want to do it, but we have to do it in order to grow. Yeah, we do have to do it in order to grow. I mean, there's some, and there's some red flags you talked about earlier, like, you know, specific red flags that we need to look out for in other people's behaviors where we can get caught up in other people's toxicity, you know, or making a choice. Like I ended a relationship in my, in, in my life that it wasn't dramatic. It was just, it was time. Like I knew that it was unhealthy and it was yeah. eating at me to a point where it became almost obsessive, where I was like talking about trying to mend this relationship and fix this person and make them happier. And, but, and I finally realized like, this is not my problem. Yeah. And when I released it from myself, I felt so free and it was like, it it was totally fine for me to end this relationship. Like, why did I need to keep hanging on? It wasn't like blood. And by the way, we don't have to hang on to blood relationships either. If they're toxic to us, like, you know, which is a great point. I think that's a really important point that a lot of the time people need to let go of relationships with a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a relative of some sort. And they come to that conclusion in a very mindful way. And then there's kind of this message from society. And I hear this a lot from my clients, from my friends. Oh, well, that's your mother. Oh, that's your father. Oh, you can't not talk to them. You can't not have a relationship. Actually, you can. We get to choose who we have a relationship with and we get to make boundaries. And if you have made boundaries, if you have said, hey, it's not okay to speak to me that way. It's not okay to behave like that. You know, I'm not okay having these kinds of discussions with you. And the person continues to do it over and over again. Sometimes the best choice, if someone is being abusive with you, is to no longer have a relationship with them, regardless of whether they're they're a blood relative or not. Yeah, stage left all the way, 100%. I think that also what's interesting is um, I find this a lot... in, in, in religion too, like, you know, the power of forgiveness. Oh, but you must forgive. You must forgive. Right. And so, and I, I, listen, I believe in the power of forgiveness. I do, but you can still forgive someone, not have them in your life. You don't have to carry the pain and the hate with you. So forgiving does not have to be, you know what I mean? A verb, (laughs) you know what I mean? It can just be internal. Look, you, 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 we are on the same page. I have a whole chapter in my book, the relationship fix all about 
forgiveness and making amends. And I talk about in the book how you can't have a relationship where nobody hurts anybody, even unintentionally. Like sometimes we just say the wrong thing. Sometimes we just slip up and and there's a difference between that and abusive behavior, obviously. But we have to know when it's appropriate to forgive and when it's not. And we, we do live in a culture that is very focus on forgiveness. Oh, you should forgive that. That is the right thing to do. And sometimes the right thing to do is, is to let go, to let go of the anger, to let go of the hatred, but also let go of the relationship. Right, right on. And, and, and we always have to be evaluating. And, and I also, you know, I talk about in the book that so often I, you know, well, when doing a radio show or when doing one of my TV shows, someone will say to me, they'll call me and they'll say, you know, my, my spouse did X, Y, and Z. Let's say my spouse cheated on me. And then I forgave them. He came to me crying and he was so sorry and he apologized and, and, and I took him back. And I always say to them, I always ask the same question what did he say he was going to do differently to make sure this doesn't happen again? And inevitably the answer is, well, nothing. He was sad and he cried and he apologized, but that does not repair a relationship in order for a relationship to take a different path and not be harmed again by this person. You have to note that they actually have remorse that they have an, a plan on how to repair this, that they are willing to sit and listen and hear you talk about the pain that they cause, that they have an actual plan of action of what they're going to do differently. Okay, well, I got in trouble because I was messaging people on Facebook. Well, now I am going to get off Facebook or I'm going right. to give you all of my code so that you can check my DMs or right. whatever it is. I'm going to get therapy to see why I was sabotaging this relationship that we have. So, you know, it's really important when we choose to forgive someone that we don't do what I call in my book, cheap forgiveness, where we just feel like, oh, I have to, oh, they said, I'm sorry. So I say, okay, we need to really do a deep dive with that person. What is going to be different this time and why? Yes, I love that. And I I learned also that it doesn't have to be dramatic, right? A lot of times we're so into the emotion that everything has to be this big dramatic ending and things like that. And what I have found now at my 52 years old of wisdom, um, things that I didn't do in the past now, I let people silently go. Like if you're not my jam and I realize it, like I don't have to make a big statement about it. It's just slowly, but surely it's less like, What's the, what's that saying? It's not that I'm like mad at you. I just don't fuck with you no more. You know what I mean? Like, I I just don't mess with you no more. Like you're not in my life. You're not around me. And so I think that doing that and having that, um, empowered me. Yeah. And it comes back to the drama. Yes. it, It reduces the drama and the energy suck from your life dramatically. Yeah. So this, so two things I want to ask you about now. So a lot of what happens in relationships, and like you said, you know, if you, if you're in a relationship, there's no possible way to shield yourself from pain on the opposite of love is what, right? So there's always going to be a balance and people, mostly it's through disappointment, right? Through expectation. You know, I learned through therapy that the minute 
you get married, for example, or you take a relationship to a partnership, whatever, to the next level, you now have a dependency on one another. So it's no longer mm -hmm. just love. It's now a dependency. And with that dependency becomes expectation, comes expectation. And mm -hmm. now that person is literally set up to fail your expectation, right? So yeah. that happens, right? T talk about that a little bit in relationships. Well, I think we have to really look at our expectations. And there are times where we come into a relationship, especially a marriage, yes. but also romantic relationship where we have fantasies about what it, what it should look like. And I yes. put should in quote, and what our partner should do for us. And, you know, nobody gets into a relationship and goes, you know, I can't wait to sort through all of my old past pain and work through it with you and help you to heal. And, and for us to really embrace that painful process, we get into it and unconsciously we think, I have found the person who's going to heal me. They're yes. going to make me feel good. They're going to heal my childhood wounds. And now everything is going to be rainbows and unicorns. And we tend to get very wounded when that's not the case. And the first 18 months of most relationships is the honeymoon period. And what I mean by that is not that it can't be romantic and wonderful after 18 months, but it is a time of massive projection. And what I mean by that is that we get little pieces of information as we get to know someone. And then we fill in the gaps. Oh, he loves baseball. Well, my brother loved baseball and he was such a great guy and he was very attentive to me. So I bet he's like my brother. And it's all of this is unconscious. And so right. what ends up happening is that we fill in all these gaps and then about 18 months in, we're hit with reality. And also in, the, in that honeymoon period, we are getting incredible chemicals. We're getting serotonin. We're getting oxytocin. We're, we're having these great orgasms, hopefully. We're bonding. So we, we have this experience where all we see are how we are alike. Oh my God, you like pizza. I like pizza too. We have so much in common. I can't believe we found each other. It's a miracle. But then you hit the 18 month point and you see the person for who they truly are. And you start to go, what do you mean you want to raise your kids in that religion? What do you mean you voted for that person? What do you mean you like to go hunting? Like you, we start to find these things out about the person and we go, wait a minute, this is not who I thought. And we start to see where we're different. And it's a painful process because we've merged in that initial stage. And now we have to pull apart while maintaining a connection. And that's very painful for most people. And most relationships around that 18 month point hit a period of negotiation where you figure, how are we going to handle differences? How do we handle anger and conflict in our relationship? How do you, how do we work through differences of opinion? You want a vacation here. I want a vacation there. How do we come to an agreement that feels okay to both of us? Yeah, this is incredible because it goes back also to that, um, that storytelling of society. Like your spouse is supposed to be your end all be all. They're supposed to do, you know, check every box of your needs, yeah. right? This is especially as women, what we're taught and yeah. it's just bullshit. And there's yeah. no one person. If you think about your, you know, God willing, your healthy Rolodex of friends, right? Yeah. You're, you would be hard pressed to find someone that has one friend that fills all the boxes. Oh, she's my best drinking friend, my best shopping friend, my best problem telling friend, my best, you know, a spontaneous trip friend. Like, yeah. you know, we, we have these people in our lives that serve yeah. us differently, but all of a sudden when it comes to a relationship, we have this expectation 
that's just untrue. It's just no yeah. one person is going to, you know, fit the bill. And you talk about self and like our self-realization and our self-soothing and our, and our and finding joy within ourselves. Like, you know, we were taught uh, probably in our age a little bit less than my mother, but my daughter now is being taught that she has to find joy within herself. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the flip of that is if you're already in a relationship, our advice would be stop trying to make this person everything because yeah. you're going to set them up for failure. And instead of looking at the negative, what I found in my relationship, because I could look at all the things John didn't do, I yeah. started to stop looking at all the things he didn't do. And I started to look at the things he did do. It's a very simple shift. It's like, if you keep yeah. looking for all the bad stuff, that's what you're going to see. The pandemic definitely could teach us that, right? But yeah. if you look for the good, the sun shines every day, even if it's cloudy out. And so well, how do we balance that? Tell, tell, tell us. Well, I talk a lot in my book about creating a culture of appreciation in your relationship okay. and where not only do you appreciate them, but you actually verbalize it. Mm. And, and I'm not just talking about for like the big occasion. Oh, wow. You, you threw me a lovely birthday party. Thanks so much. I'm talking about you change the cat letter, even if that's your partner's job to be like, I just want you to know, I know that we, it's our agreement, but I really appreciate that you changed the cat litter and, and, and I don't have to I deal have with to. that. They hate right. that. And to actually thank our partner for the things they do on a day-to-day basis. You know what? Thank you for that podcast you do. Thank you for contributing to our family financially. You work really hard. I just want you to know, I know you love that podcast you're doing, but I really appreciate that, that contribution to our family. It's a beautiful thing that you do that. So thanking the person who is our partner, not just for the out of the ordinary special things, but the things that we take for granted. And that, that creates a really positive dynamic. And what the studies actually show is that when you start to do that, that person then starts to look for those positive things in you and you get it back in spades. Yes. And you're also exercising that muscle, which is your brain. And you're starting to condition it to positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcement. Yeah. Right. And so, and that's not only a spouse, but it's also a relationship with a parent or, you know, a child or whatever, because I found that if I kept like, it's that definition of insanity, I keep repeating the same behavior, waiting for a different result. If I keep pushing, I can push as hard as I want for a, a best friend, a mother, a spouse to give me what I need. And I can yeah. push till the cows come home. And if they are not capable of giving me what I need, I'm never going to get it. Right. So yeah. how do we start to put that, that expectation, or, or I guess reduce that expectation that we are going to find joy and happiness in other people and find it in ourselves T teach us how, how to do that. That again, goes back to putting the oxygen masks on like that self-love. We have to dig deep and we have to look into ourselves and we have to look into where are the parts that we don't love about ourselves okay. and what are the parts that, while they are imperfect, we can work to change it and we can work to change ourselves in positive ways without hating ourselves into change. Yes. And, and I think that that's a really important concept. And, you know, all too often I see 
people say like, oh, I'm going to exercise because I hate my body. Don't exercise because you hate your body. Exercise because you love your body. And that's a wonderful gift that you get to give your body. It will help you live longer. It will make you stronger. It will, it will allow you hopefully to live a long time and see beautiful, amazing things. And that's a great gift. But we tend to kind of come from that negative of, oh, I screwed that up again. Oh, I'm so terrible. And, and we have a lot of negative self-talk. So really looking at our negative self-talk and reprogramming ourselves. And, and, you know, it's interesting in sports psychology, and I've done a lot of work in sports psych, what we know as coaches and sports psychologists is that the magic number is five to one. Five positive things to one negative will allow the person to hear the negative. So like when I was coaching gymnastics, I would make sure with my gymnast that I would give them the one negative, but I would counteract it with five positives because otherwise they become so demoralized that they don't hear the feedback. Right. And it's the same thing with relationships, you know, with our partners. And there's a brilliant guy named John Gottman. John Gottman studies couples and he can predict divorce with like 97% accuracy. And what he says is that five to one ratio, what matters in your relationship is not how often you fight, how much you fight, if you fight, if you don't fight. What matters is the positive to negative ratio of positive to negative experiences. So you want to keep a positive of five and a negative of one, and that's magic. Those are the relationships that last. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I loved my cats growing up, but ugh, the litter box, everything from cleaning it out to covering up the smell, it's just a constant battle. But now there's Pretty Litter, Kitty Litter Reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that has less dust and doesn't smell. Sounds like kitty owner bliss to me. Pretty Litter ships free and arrives at your door in a lightweight bag that lasts up to a month, and with auto ship, you'll never deal with last-minute trips to the store. But above all, here's why Pretty Litter is a pet parent's hero. It monitors your cat's health by changing color when it detects potential underlying issues. You won't find that kind of innovation in your conventional litter. Pretty Litter helps keep your cat healthy and keeps odors down too. Go to prettylitter.com and use the code in my heart for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com code in my heart for 20% off. Use in my heart at prettylitter.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Until I found First Leaf, I found myself buying the same old wine over and over. But with my First Leaf Club membership, I'm truly exploring the world of wine. First Leaf Wine Club 
Custom curates award-winning wines that suit your palate and they deliver them straight to your door. You start by taking a simple five-minute quiz that helps match you to the wines that are ripe for you to try. First Leaf samples about 10,000 wines a year across five continents and 12 countries, selecting only the best bottles for the club. And they work directly with producers, eliminating the middleman and, uh-huh, the markup, which means as members, we get to drink wines for a lot less. If you're not happy with the wine, let them know. You'll receive a credit toward your next shipment. From the wine in your box to your delivery schedule, First Leaf lets you design your perfect membership, and they make it easy to change it up at any time. There are no contracts or cancellation fees. I love unpacking my beautiful First Leaf deliveries and looking over the individual descriptions about each bottle included. It makes each wine I open feel like a new discovery. Give your glass a swirl and let them know what you think. The more wines you rate, the better they know which bottles to send next. And with all that, you'll be saving money. Join today. You're going to get six bottles of wine for just $29.95 with free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash in my heart. That's tryfirstleaf.com slash in my heart for six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Here's a toast to first. May you enjoy them with the people you love from the first sip to the last. Tryfirstleaf.com slash in my heart. Now back to my show. You know, I've been married, what, 18 years now. The thing that, bo- the stupid little things, like, you know, the idiosyncrasies that we all show up with, like, the things that bothered me about my husband we were when we were in the oxycodone, toxic, oxytocin <laughs> overload and the serotonin yeah. overload are still the same things that bother yeah. me today. So yeah. one of the things I want to say that I just, I have to digress on is, is that if you are in the honeymoon phase of any relationship, be it a partnership, a romantic relationship, like a new friend, and there are issues within it early on in that early part of the relationship, please listen to and heed those signs because yeah. contracts are real. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, we don't always need them, but we get, uh, we get overpowered by the chemicals, you know? And yeah. I think a lot of people do that when you talk about marriage or infidelity and that sort of thing that they yeah. actually think that because they're having, you know, a chemical induced feeling that, yeah. you know, that that's going to remain forever. It doesn't ever, nothing ever stays the same. Right. You know, it always changes. Yeah. Well, we, look, we are constantly in motion. We're constantly growing and moving and changing. And, you know, interestingly, the studies show that cheating does not occur for the reasons we think it does. We think that it occurs because of the sex and the chemistry. But the studies actually show a guy named M. Gary Newman did a study of over 500 cheating men. And then years later, he did 500 cheating women. And what he found for both genders, and these were studies of heterosexual couples, hopefully he will do same sex couples soon. Um, What he found was it was the same thing for both. It was for men, it was, I think, 93 percent for women, it was 92 percent of the time. The reason why people cheated was a lack of emotional connection or a lack of an emotional connection and a sexual connection. And what that speaks to is the importance of spending time and investing time in our relationships, that we need to have that 20 to 30 minutes of face-to-face time, put down your phones, turn off the TV, like pay attention to each other and sit and talk. It can be over dinner. It can be just sitting on the couch, shooting the shit, but connect with that person because 
there will always be someone with a tighter ass, with cuter tits, with longer hair, with a bigger dick, whatever it is. And that's tempting. But when people have that great emotional connection, they're not going to be willing to sacrifice it and take that risk for that quick fix. You know, I, I had a friend once who he bought cars and he fixed them up and then sold them. And I remember there was one car in particular he bought and he spent so much time and so much energy investing into it that at the end of it, he didn't want to sell it because he was so invested and relationships are the same way. When we put a lot of time and energy and investment in it, we don't want to fuck it up. Yes. And that's, a, that's such a key is, is that relationships, you don't like have a relationship, a partnership, whatever it is. And it just then goes on autopilot. You got to work at it. Yeah. You got to see each other. I think that, you know, that permeated with me, like when you talked about that is, you know, that uh, failure to see each other. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I know I've had relationships. Uh, I mean, friends that have been in relationships for many years and they're like, he doesn't have the first clue as to who I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or she doesn't know the first thing about me and they've been married for 20 years. Because and that's the that. couple who is going to get swooped up by someone else because once someone sees them yeah. and they feel seen and heard and understood, they'll be gone. Exactly. So how do, we, how do we harness being seen back to ourselves, right? Like how do we try to correct that need to be needed, that need to be adored, loved, cared for, seen, right? Like how do we well, cover I, I that? I don't think it's something we have to fix. I think that the hunger to be seen, heard, and understood is a healthy one. Okay, yeah. And I think that it is a marker of a good relationship and that it's something that we should be looking for in our relationship and that we want to be screening for it. And if it doesn't exist, we want to see how can we create it on both ends. Right. Because what will quickly follow in a relationship, certainly that's romantic, is, is that um, the sex stops, right? Like, and, and let's, let's yeah. talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. So as a sex counselor, like, is it true that some people just like, even though they're married or they're in love, they just don't have a sexual connection? Or is that something that can be fixed? Because also times it after over time, it starts to wane. What's some advice you have or signs you have for folks that are dry? <laughs> well, look, there are different situations. There are some people who just never had it. Okay. And, and then there are some people who had it and then lost it. Yes. But it, look, for the people who never had it, it's important to do the work to figure out what was lacking. Are you lacking a technique? Are you not reading each other's body? Do you not know each other's sexual cues? Are, is one or both of you holding back? Because look, here's the thing. A lot of the time, the things that we like sexually are not politically correct. Right. A lot of the time, the fantasies we have, the positions we like, the things we like to do are not necessarily things that we want to shout from the rooftops because we're so proud of them. They kind of come from a darker, shadowy side of ourselves. And if we are not able to express that to our partner, we don't tend to have great sex. Mm -hmm. So creating an atmosphere in the bedroom where our partner and we can actually express ourselves and say what we want, what we like, what we need is really important to have a great sex life. Yes. And how important is kissing? Because I noticed that in marriages, like, you know, after you're married for like a long time, like 
couples don't really make out anymore. Like when was the last time you like made out with your husband? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, do we have society issues about what used to be, you know, can you talk through that a little bit? Look, I think it's different for each person. There are some people for whom kissing is super important. And there's some couples who are still kissing many years later and not having intercourse or vice right. versa. So it's like, I've seen all, all ends of this. And I think yeah. that if kissing is important to you, it's important that your partner be paying attention to that and that it be integrated back into your life. And, and to me, kissing is not just sexual, it's also sensual. And it's, it's something that connects you and makes you feel loved and connected with that person. So, so that's really important. So if you're a kisser, for example, because this is an easy example to use, like how do you get your partner to start kissing again or, or get better at it? So, cause you're, you know what I mean? If it's important, how do you actually have the gravity to say, yeah. we got to kiss more. Or you, you don't, yeah. I don't like what, what it's like when you kiss me and I need Look. to like it. Chapter six in my book is all about <laughs> sex and how to reignite your sex life. And so I have a lot of instructions about it. But really, you know, if it's just something as simple as integrating kissing back in, I would talk about how great it was when you guys used to kiss. I, I like to build on the positive. Man, remember how we used to sit and make out? Oh, that was hot. I was just thinking about that the other day and it got me so hot and excited. Yeah. I would love to start doing that again. Do you think you'd be up for that? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it in a positive way because where we, where we screw up is when we go, you never kiss me anymore. Why don't right. you kiss me anymore? Yeah. Well, you need to kiss to... me. They're already yeah. shut off. Right. Yeah. Who wants to kiss someone who's putting it that way? Who's, exactly. Who is coming at you with a criticism that doesn't make you feel like kissing. Yes. So, so really looking at how you're delivering the information and building on the positive. Yes. That's a really good, just general tip speaking on any level, whether you're speaking to someone in a job interview or in, in a relationship, stop telling people what they should do. What you should do is, right? Because yeah. automatically they've cut you, they've stopped listening, right? Because they yeah. know there's going to be some sort of insult coming. So the delivery of the message is important. We have to be thoughtful yeah. when we're delivering hard news or yeah. news that don't deliver it as, as a criticism. Right. Criticism don't get anyone hard or wet. They tend to make people exactly. pull away. <laughs> right. Exactly. If you, if you learned one thing from this podcast, people, that's it. Criticism does not make anybody hard or wet. Thank so let's you. keep it positive. I love that so much. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I believe focusing on your health and finding a routine that works for you is something we need to be dedicated to. Care of helps to keep you on top of your health goals thanks to their daily personalized packs that make taking your vitamins easy to stick to every day. Care of is a subscription service that ships clean, high-quality vitamin supplements and powders conveniently to your door every month. Just take their short, in-depth quiz about your health goals and lifestyle and get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. And you can retake the quiz as your goals and needs change so your recommendations from Care of evolve with you. 
Care-of's personalized packs make taking my daily dose of magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin B, and C so easy, and they're just perfect when I'm on the go, and they come in plant-based compostable film. Care-of's products are made from good-for-you clean ingredients that are backed by the latest science and research so you can feel good about what you're putting in your body. For 50% off your first Care-of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code INMYHEART50. That's 50% off your first care of order. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code INMYHEART50. That's TakeCareOf.com, INMYHEART50 for 50% off your first order. Now back to my show. So, all right, now that we're talking about the positive, I do want to talk a little bit about the negative, right? How do we watch for telltale signs of someone who's like narcissistic or, you know, someone who's going to gaslight you or, you know, how do we look out? Cause people are, I mean, you know, you're expert at this. There are signs you can probably pick out people pretty damn quick doc. And when you you're saying this in terms of dating, in terms of professional situations, I think it's all for me because yeah. uh, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're the boss and you have some yeah. tips and you can see a narcissist, maybe you don't want to hire them. But we don't always yeah. know, right? But yeah. like, what are some of the signs to look out for when you're kind of entering yeah. into a relationship with someone that's not going to be the most positive person in your life, and maybe yeah. you're shrouded by you know all that you know chemical in your brain or what is it? But I know that there are certain things you can look out for with yeah. people. Well, right? look, typically, typically narcissists spend a lot of time talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. They talk about their accolades, their accomplishments, how wonderful they are, all that they've done. That is definitely a red flag. Typically, narcissists they narcissists lack empathy. So when you find someone who's not able to understand other people's perspectives, you know, when I was taking psychopathology in graduate school, you know, decades ago, one of the things the teacher talked about is when you go into a narcissist home, they have a lot of pictures of themselves. And that I remember seeing one particular politician, there was a tour of his home and there was this giant oil painting just of him. Right. And he's a married man with kids. Like it wasn't like a family portrait. It was just him. Like, like, and they were all over the house. And I thought, oh, wow, that's a narcissist. Whoa. You know, like sometimes there are obvious signs like that. And sometimes it takes longer to figure it out. Right. And, and you end up seeing it, you know, narcissists tend to always be the victim or the hero. Right. And when you know that and you start to listen to it, we are more complex than that. And someone who is not narcissistic will sometimes say, oh, I screwed up. I did that. But narcissists never screw up in their own eyes. Right. They, they are either the victim that it went wrong because mm-hmm. someone wronged them. They were, they were treated unfairly. They were fired because their boss was terrible. It's never because of something that they did. Right. So self-reflection is something impossible for a narcissist, but yeah. something so important for human growth. Yeah. You and I mean, narcissist, by the way, when something goes wrong in the relationship, they won't fight for it because in order to fight for a relationship, you have to be willing to look at what you've done to screw up the relationship. And that requires making amends, some apology, some change of behavior. And narcissists are not capable of that. 
Right. Exactly. And love is a two way street. You've got to, you know, you can't say you love someone and not pay attention to them or know anything about them or care about their needs. Yeah. Or include them in the oil painting. (laughs) (laughs) Now I want to go a little bit into, um, we're going to talk about this book because I mean, we're hitting every chapter. So everybody has to have this book, but I want to talk a little bit about lifestyle for a second, because I know we have this very much in common And you're plant-based and you are a professional athlete. I mean, you competed in the Olympics and you're all about wellness programs. I want you to talk as a doctor, because I can talk about it as a health coach all day long, but what you, the pros and the positives that you see when you are taking lifestyle into account when it comes to your mental health. Well, look, I mean, what we put in our body, that's what we fuel our brain and our body on. And it's really important. And I think that a lot of the time people get caught up in that diet mentality of good foods versus bad foods. And it's not about good foods or bad foods. It's about how does this food make me feel? Does this give me energy? Does this make me feel sluggish? Does this give me a stomach ache? Does this make me feel like I could run all day long? And we need to really look at our food in different ways. And, you know, I had, and I've talked about this publicly for many, many years, for 10 years, I had a terrible eating disorder from age 11 to 21. I was an elite level athlete. I really, really struggled. And I thought I would never be well again. But then when I hit 21, I, in addition to a lot of therapy, I also started to really take on an intuitive eating model of, of food. And so intuitive eating is about listening to your body, eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're satisfied, not full, eating what your body is craving and and desiring, and also allowing yourself to have fun foods, and and which some people call junk foods, but we call them fun foods. And I have an app called No More Diets that's all about how to do this and offers a lot of tools and videos and stuff like that. But that's really important. You, You can't go around feeling deprived. If you're too deprived, you will binge and you will overeat and you will feel terrible. I am plant-based. When I was 10 years old, I saw a documentary that showed the slaughterhouses and I felt that I could never eat meat again. And I remember going to the kitchen and saying, my mom was like, oh, do you want hamburgers? And I was like, yeah, I don't think I can do that anymore. And fortunately, my mom supported that decision. I was pescatarian for many years. And then about 13 years ago, I saw Kathy Freston on TV um, and she was talking about the pain on your plate. And she was also talking about the dairy industry mm-hmm. and about how these mother cows are kept pregnant. They're impregnated over and over again. They're standing in their own filth yep. and they get infections and they're put on antibiotics and they're fed all this GMO corn and they uh, they are in pain because they have gas because they're eating foods they're not supposed to eat and it's bad for the environment. And then they give birth and the boy cows are taken to the veal factories and are slaughtered at a few weeks when they're only a few weeks old. And the girls go back into the system. So a lot of vegans call dairy liquid meat. And then when I found out that on average, you know, vegans live, you know, something like, you know, 10 years longer than non-vegans and vegetarians live, I think it's like five to six years longer. I was like, how can I not do this? I would give up anything to have 10 more years with my children. Right. So for me, it was an easy decision. 
Yeah. yeah. So first it was an ethical thing for you and it came yeah. from that need, but then it also came from the way you were feeling and it came from, you know, the facts out there and the realities yeah. out there. Now, you know, I mean, farming changed a great deal with the launch of, um, you know, fast food and McDonald's and over 2.9 million served. And what happened was farming changed to keep up with the pace and the time. And, you know, I live here in the Berkshires and there's a lot of humanely raised animals that have beautiful lives and yes, they're slaughtered and people, you know, eat them. But um, I think that knowing where your food comes from is one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves. And whether you make the choice to be vegan or not vegan, what I know and what doc knows is that plant-based eating is healthy for us. And if we just start to crowd out some animal based products, even if you make one meal, the choice of one meal and you crowd that out for a plant-based diet. So get your protein from your beans or your hummus or whatever it is, your chickpeas that you're eating. And, and those, you can get beautiful full amino acid profiles and protein from plants, but the, the plants um, have nutrients is the other thing that's really important that our bodies don't make certain vitamins and minerals that our bodies don't make that, you know, yeah, you might get a little iron, a little vitamin D from the gut, from the cow, but like what you get from a plant is the phytonutrients and the polyphenols and the antioxidants and the vitamins and all that stuff. So when you eat better doc, mentally, you're just going to feel better, right? It's the way you power your system. And study after study shows that if you are vegan, that you are reducing or eliminating, generally reducing dramatically your likelihood of getting cancer, Mm -hmm. diabetes, and heart disease, which are the three biggest killers in this country. Yeah. And that's huge. Huge. I mean... Pure, not processed people, pure, not processed as much as you can have the junk food because you want it and your brain, you deserve it and you crave it, but just take, take, uh, inventory of what you're eating on a a daily thing: You don't have to be a perfect vegan and you don't have to, you know, Kathy Freston, who I'm now friends with, she's a dear friend of mine. She has a very gentle approach and her books are perfect. I was actually just recommending uh, her book to a friend of mine who's a nurse who is going vegan and kind of said, I need to do this slowly. I said, then you got to read Kathy Freston because Fra- Kathy talks about, well, try eliminating one animal at a time, like yes. not eating pigs, then right. not eating cows, whatever it is, whatever the order is, or start with a meatless Monday that, that progress is, is really important in this. And also that you don't have to be deprived. Yes. I don't deprive myself of anything. And, and Look, when I first started becoming vegan 13 years ago, there were not the options there are now. No, you know, for the sure The veggie burgers were mediocre. Like yeah, now, possibly now with beyond and like oh so many great options. And we've got all kinds of great vegan butters and cheeses and like artisanal cheeses and like great restaurants. Like it's a, it's a different world. You can eat really well. Like I'm a foodie. Like if you look on my Instagram, I'm constantly posting. I post on my Insta stories, my workouts and, and tons of food. And And incredible quotes, by the way. So you have got to follow her Instagram page. Tell them, tell them the name of the book, the vegan book for people who want to maybe make a change or learn more about it. Anything that Kathy Freston has written. She has a number of different ones. I also love my other favorite book is Dr. Garth Davis, Proteinaholic. And it's very research-based. Garth is a, a dear friend of mine. His work is he's a obsessive researcher 
And he really come from a very, like a health standpoint on why you should do this and how he did it himself. And he went from being like a Texan meat eater, like hardcore kind of guy to being completely plant-based and running triathlons. I love it. And by the way, I'm sure that you've heard of it. And I think it's one of the best vegan cookbooks out there today. It's Jessica Seinfeld, Vegan Sometimes. She is out. If you follow her on Instagram, it's all over her book. But like to your point, Doc, there's so much available for us to make alternative choices that will be better for our health and will serve us better mentally, physically, but it will also serve our planet. And so that's important too. Now, by the way, I've literally posted from Jessica's book twice this week recipes that I've made. I mean, she's so good at it. She's just, I've I've done a bunch of the recipes and I just love her book because I find myself sometimes because I'm the vegan in the house um, and, you know, vegan sometimes is me. Um, and you know, it's hard for me to cook for, for like, I'm now making myself separate meals I'm finding. So I really found that the, her book was so great and I could just make stuff for everybody and nobody even knew the difference. Yeah. Yeah, The other, I am a huge fan of, uh, chef Chloe Casarelli. Her books are spectacular. And I also love, uh, Dustin who has a book called Epic Vegan. He has two books out now. Those, those are so we got the resources yeah. from Jesse Seinfeld and some of the others yeah. that uh, the doctor has shared with us. We'll, we'll write it all down and we'll make sure that you guys get all the information and I'll post about it. But, uh, but you know, before I let you go, because I know that we are coming to a close, I just have to talk about Valentine's Day for a second, because this is like, you know, the like the most hated and loved holiday, yes. like at the same time. Can we talk a little bit out about for those people who think that they're not whole without a relationship or like that classic, the grass is always greener, like, oh, I'm alone. And if I only had somebody like the grass isn't always greener. And yes, relationships are wonderful. And I'm so thrilled in my relationship and my marriage, you know, good, bad and ugly. Yeah. Um, but I think that we've hung our hats on society that we have to have a, a partner. Right. Yeah. Can we can you talk about that a little, Doc? Look, I think it is human nature to couple. I think we do seek companionship. And I also think that there are seasons in our life where that's not where we're at. And I think it's important to enjoy them while we have them. Because there are times where you're in a relationship where you don't have enough time for yourself, where there are things that you wish you were doing that you don't do. And I think it's really important when you're in a season where you aren't in a committed relationship, where it isn't taking that time from you, that you are able to focus on yourself and to do the things that you love even more and to expand your knowledge and your horizons. And I remember one Valentine's Day in my 20s, I hosted a dinner uh, of single women. And we had, it was like one of the greatest Valentine's day. And like, I've had some wonderful romantic ones. Don't get me wrong. My partner, Eric will not be happy, (laughs) but it was really a great Valentine's day. And we sat around and we told the story. uh, We had a contest of who had had the worst first date and the winner was treated to dinner. And by the way, I won. (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna have to save that story for another time but i can't wait to hear it oh it's a but good I, one i love that because i think you know valentine's day has to be less about you know relationship and more about love 
and yeah. celebrating love and giving love and receiving love. And so yeah. for those who have someone, you know, right next to you or you're married or whatever to love, like it's a good day of appreciation. And for those of you who don't have a committed relationship or something like that, lean into anybody that you love. Like we don't have to make this the alone for singles people holiday, yeah. but we should make it about celebrating yourself too, right? Again, that self-love, like, you know, I, going out with your girlfriends, having, I love that. So, yeah, so that's it was a great, a great tip. tip. Yeah. That's a great tip. I love it. Okay. So for those people who don't already follow you, doc, I gotta, I gotta find out where they can follow you. And my last question with all this great advice that you give and all of this help that you give us and all these tips and amazing articles and literature and books and all that you give, how do you find freedom for you? How do you find things that Dr. Jen needs? Um, you asked a great question. I, I balance a lot. Um, I have aging parents. I help them with their business. I have two teenagers who are twins. I have a relationship that's a, a long-term relationship that I've been in for many, many years. I deal with a, a lot, my full-time private practice, hosting TV, radio, all that sort of stuff. And really taking time for myself. You know, I do my, I not only am I a therapist, but I make sure that I get my own therapy, yeah. that I exercise for me. Peloton, like you mentioned, I'm a Peloton addict for me. That is my time to myself. And that is time that I have, I have kind of built up over time because I wasn't always in as good a shape as I am now. And now my strength and endurance is amazing, which makes me feel fantastic and amazing. Um, I also, I am a huge fan of the long hot bath. I have always I loved one today. to watch TV in my bath and, and especially sex in the city. And now it's, and just like that. But I, I think it's really important that sometimes we can't get on a plane and go somewhere on a vacation, but knowing how to take a mental vacation and also maintaining contact with friends and our support system. I'm very fortunate that I have spectacular friends, you know, and, and both new friends and old friends. I have friends of, you know, 40 plus years. And then I have other friends that I've met, you know, even in the, in the pandemic in the last two years who are amazing new friends. So really being open to connection and nurturing those relationships is, is key and, and nurturing our relationship with ourselves. I love that. It's so beautiful. So you guys, just a little takeaway, you know, be kind to yourself, love yourself, be honest with yourself, right? Listen to that inner voice because it really tells you the truth, right? Yeah. And, you know, and if you need help, Doc, go get it. You know, if you're, Absolutely. if you can't get over the hump, you know, if talking to friends doesn't seem to fix it, if you laid on your back and you cried it out and you got up and you're feeling stronger and ready to go on the next day, keep on moving, you know, yeah. but if you can't get over the hump, reach out, please. There's help. There's so much help out there. There's so many ways to do it. Dr. Jen has tons of books. Start with a book. It's out there for you. Nobody should feel alone or be alone. Um, everybody can relate to our pain, our suffering, our sorrow, even though we all have different uh, stories yeah. and we will have different mountains to climb, so to speak. We're in it to win it. And Dr. Jen's here to help us. So where can they find you? Tell me where they can find your books and everything. Yeah. Take it away. You, kid. Everyone can find me on social media media on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, even some TikTok at Dr. Jen Man, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. And every week I have a column that comes out in InStyle magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen that's all about sex and relationship issues. 
See, if you can't get off the hump, you already got it covered. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I appreciate you so much in your time. I think we just need to have some just, you know, kind of realistic talking tos. You know, it is a journey and we're all going to fight it together. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Jen Mann. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. This is In My Heart. Please be sure to download and tune in next week. We'll have a new episode coming at you. Thanks so much. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.